Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of The Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. Before we get started today, I'd like to send you a copy of our brand new book, The Practical Agency, written specifically to help creative agency owners go beyond the creative side and build systems to simplify and quickly scale their agency to $100,000 a month. Go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash practical agency to claim your free copy. And now for the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, Today we are joined by Ryan Watson. Ryan is an experienced operations and finance leader for creative agencies and venture-funded startups. As a partner at Upsourced, he helps scaling agencies build better plans, see the future, and ultimately drive profits. Prior to Upsourced, Ryan led operations and finance for a large influencer marketing and ad agency, Ahology, where they built the team to over 50 people and $10 million in annual revenue before selling to Quotient Technology. Welcome to the show. Robert, thanks for having me. It should be fun. So, you know, we were talking right before going into recording about, you know, different stages of growth and financial metrics and all those sorts of things. And, you know, at each stage of growth, we we end up hitting these glass ceilings as an entrepreneur, right? And was interested to hear sort of the things that you're seeing from a financial perspective and whether there's overlap between what I see and what what you see working with agencies every day and these sort of like typical glass ceilings. What are those ones that you you see in like revenue and size, team, all of that sort of stuff? Yeah. So Robert, I'm interested to hear like, if you agree with this, does this sound like what you see? But again, we see agencies in like what we describe as kind of four discrete stages. The first is what we call create mode. So that's like the zero to one, right? Like I'm just trying to create this thing. The focus is all like sales and service. And ultimately I'm trying to produce an agency that should exist in the world. Right. And so you know, the the first inflection point that you would really face as an agency we find happens around like the $1 million, give or take, revenue range. And that's the point where it's like, okay, this thing, like it's, it's a going concern. It exists. I'm here, but I probably coasted in on fumes and there's warts all over and concentration risks. It probably doesn't make a lot of money, all that kind of stuff. And so that's the point where it's like, okay, it's time to like grow up and I really want to take this seriously and I've got to work my way through what we call the hierarchy of financial needs, where I'm working on gross margin and operating profits and ultimately like a repeatable revenue generation engine to the point where, you know, I get to, let's say three to 4 million and things are rocking and they're feeling, you know, good. I've got something. And then the second inflection point happens and things start to break and like morale tanks and, and we start to lose some clients. And it's a function of like, okay, you know, we got to the point where as a leadership team, we no longer can bear hug all of the individual things happening in the agencies. And we're now multiple layers of, stu- of separation away from decisions being made and it's causing stress. And so the, the, the goal here is to now bring up or promote the next level of leadership and provide them the accountability, the autonomy, the incentives to sort of own their chunk of the PL and drive these decisions for you. Right. And so that, you know, that first chunk zero to one is what we call create mode. Then, you know, from there it's build mode. And now at three to 4 million, we've, we've said it's, you enter grow mode. And that's the point where you've got to bring these next level of leaderships up. And then that kind of takes you to what we would say, this isn't like maybe the final inflection point, the final inflection point we have a lot of experience with, which is like, let's say eight to 10 million. And that's the point where you've gone from, you're a big business and you're making a conscious decision that you'd like to be a really big business, which is a decision that not every agency we work with chooses to make. That's a very conscious choice. But if you make that choice, then there's a whole slew of other challenges and intentional 
decisions that you would need to make. So anyways, those are the, those are kind of the four stages. I would, Robert, what do you think? Like, how does that compare to your experience? I mean, largely the, the what you're describing is what I have experienced. I will add a couple of different sort of nuances in what I'm seeing. One, the first sort of stage I see is that $150,000, $250,000 line of, do you actually want to be an entrepreneur in the first place? You know, loads of people like accidentally become an agency owner where they're like bringing on a freelancer and they're like, you know, I don't like this life. I don't want to do this. I'm <laughs> going to go back and get a job, you know, yeah. and that's totally okay. But that's, I feel like is the first sort of place is like you just started to hit the six figure line and starting to understand of like, ah, is this really something I want to do? Once you started to figure that out to get to the 1 million, the vast majority of it is kind of just doing a lot of the same that you had been doing. You're still figuring out who you are, what do you want to do, who you want to work with, what do you want to be doing, all of that still being figured out until you get to that $1 million line. Yeah, you've sort of started to figure some of that stuff out. But at that point, you're you're really, you're really, really busy. You have to start hiring more team members. You have to start bringing on leadership team. And it's like, all right, I have to start changing what I'm doing and delegating and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, that is definitely like, if you can get to the 1 million and you've made the conscious choice that you're, you want to be here. Cause like, you know, what I agree with you, by the way, that like 200 to 1 million, that's hard. I mean, you and I, we've lived through that ourselves. And also we help our clients with that. It's really, really challenging. But once you get to a million, I mean, I feel like, look, these all the rest of these problems are solvable. Like the the can I create something the market wants to buy is, you know, there's no playbook for that, right? Like, do, you know, do, do you have a good vision for that or not? And once you get to the point where you've done that, not to say that there's like an easy playbook, but the rest of the problems are solvable. We can tackle those. 100%. I think a lot of what, what ends up happening for a lot of people, especially at that lower sort of stage, and we can talk about the next one a little bit as well. Yeah. The first sort of stage, a lot of people are trying to mimic what other people are doing rather than actually deciding what they actually want to do, which I think is a lot of the distinction yeah. between the one and the three, right? Because you've started to create kind of this like Franken business at that stage where it's like you're doing so much, you're completely stretched, you, you, you're still kind of figuring out fully what you want to do at the million dollar line, roughly in that area, you started like, all right, I don't want to do this. I do want to do this. I like this. I don't like this. Who's who I want to work with. But there's there's so many phases of that entrepreneur journey in that initial stage, for sure. You said a thing that was that's a so right. And also, like, I, I think it's a function of, again, like in that next phase, what we call build mode, you know, sort of like north of one, south of three, the job to be done, what I would argue is one of the hardest jobs to be done. The thing that our clients struggle with the most is creating repeatable revenue generation, right? Like having a predictable growth model. And, and obviously you, you don't have that, you know, as you're coming up and a lot of your business comes from referrals. And when that happens, there's a, you know, there's a lot of like sort of inertia to just take business as it comes. And that business that as it comes may not be the kind of work that you said you wanted to do or that you intentionally tried to do. You're just cashing checks. And when you're cashing checks and you're being reactive, then as you said, you build a Franken business, a Franken agency. It's hard. Again, it's very hard to say no to money, but ultimately it, it is what causes many of the challenges you're going to have to undo in the next stage of growth. You said it's hard to say no to money. And my initial response was, yeah, it is. It's really easy. And I'm like, oh, but then I think back a couple of years ago myself, it's like, no, actually yeah, at that exactly. point it wasn't. <laughs> but right now it's very it's different. Not... 
Well, sure. Yeah. Like when you've, when you've seen, when you've like, when you've gotten the right money and you know what that feels like and also taken enough of the wrong money and you know what that feels like, it's very easy. <laughs> but until you've like taken yeah. the lumps. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. It's not as, yeah. Yeah. It's that initial sort of the phase that you were talking about, that referral oriented side of things, right? And not saying that referrals you can, in theory, depending on how you have your referral generator set up, right, in the networks that you're working with, but well, you're just waiting for someone at the door to come knock on your agency door to come offer you business. You're just, you feel desperate to accept every single opportunity that taps on your door. Totally. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's a, that's a hallmark of the businesses at that stage. And, and again, as I, as I told you, like we have this, um, you know, when you get to that build mode phase, the sort of north of a million, which we can talk about now if you want to. But, you know, we, we have this kind of hierarchy of financial needs. And, you know, the capstone of that is saying like, okay, the, the final thing is, can we produce a predictable revenue generation model? Because there's def there's just an inherent, I agree with you, by the way, referrals are an important part of the business. And they should be an important sort of lever of growth for the foreseeable future forever, for that matter. But there, there's a natural ceiling to the the size and, and sophistication of your yep. agency. That's the only growth channel you've got. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, let's talk about the next sort of stage, right? That 3 million. There's a lot of operational chaos that happens. You end up becoming largely a different agency. Leadership team needing to be really honed in, making sure you have the right people in the right positions and making sure your processes are set up correctly. And you've now figured out largely who you are, but now you're starting to get to that that scale-oriented place yeah. right, where you're fully building out, as you've called it. Yeah, totally. And the thing, and, and I, we obviously have somewhat of a finance sort of bias as we work with our clients, but the thing that we have found that is is sort of the unlock is, you know, again, there's a, you know, finding the right people and getting them in the right seats, great, important, like table stakes, right? But finding the right way to create the right level of accountability, like visibility, right? So, hey, you, not just like, hey, you're head of CS and like these are the roles and responsibilities, do a great job, we'll see you once a year and, and pat you on the back. But it's it's more like, no, 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 how do we create some version of like a business unit that you run? And how do we give you the visibility of what you're responsible for? Can we create either a, a, a standalone PL or a chunk of the PL that you are incentivized to do how do we tie your incentive model, your compensation to it? And how do we create a feedback loop, right? How do we give a feedback loop so we're talking on a, you know, on a, on a, on a whatever periodic cadence? I, I can tell you as, a, as an example. So like, you know, in the intro, you said I, I ran this agency, Ahology, and, and man, did we hit that like three to four million. Like ours was mostly internal, a lot of internal strife, just like, you know, and, and it was a, it was the next level of leaders that were like knocking on the door and saying like, hey, it's time for us, right? And so the second we said, you know what, you're right, and we're, we're going to, again, disaggregate the P&L to a degree and say, hey, we have a client service team and you handle a piece of cog, so we're gonna hold you accountable to a margin specific to your element. We are an ad agency, so here's the ad person and here's your sort of margin. There was a content production component. And it was like, hey, on a monthly basis, we're gonna get together and we're gonna talk about every campaign. We're gonna talk about the profitability of every campaign. You're gonna present on like how you did relative to your sort of like line item budget and the things that like were challenging or not. Anyways, the moment we did that, the kinds of ideas the team brought in order for us to drive better margin were like way better than the ideas we had before that. Of course they were, right? Because these people are like running the business. They know 
they just need to know like what's the game like what's the goal here and and how can i how can i affect it right and and that was a giant unlock and that that playbook is the same across all of our agencies and, and again they they hit it right at that like 4 million whatever the whatever the number is so anyways a lot of ways to do that yeah there's so so many things that you hit there that like i massively agree with i mean there's one of the first agencies that I worked with, the agency owner had grown the business to some like three and a half million and then kind of started to take his foot off the gas, right? It had started to abdicate loads of the responsibilities that he had up until that point, but didn't have a way to measure what was going on. And then ultimately, over the course of an eight month period of time, the business went from that three and a half million to 800,000. Wow. And was in a really rough spot, obviously, with having payroll for a three and a half million dollar agency and now <laughs> support having by. fallen below seven figures yeah and so there was lots of changes that needed to happen that like measurement component is so incredibly important and i i know for a fact that the vast majority of agency owners avoid numbers because they are telling themselves that they're not data-oriented people they're creative they're this they're that and it's this sort of mindset internal monologue that you have around it but it's so incredibly incredibly important and the thing I've always absolutely loved about being in the finance department is the fact that there's a story behind the numbers. Like I don't look at a number from like this black and white thing. Like there's always a story behind it and understanding the intricacies of that specific metric, that specific number is like one just like lights me up and I really enjoy it. But like watching and making sure you haven't abdicated what your responsibility is as an agency owner and making sure you're monitoring what's going on within each department. So I, I totally agree. I think you, you've hit on a thing. I mean, two sides of a similar coin that we also face all the time, which is, yeah, there is this like reluctance to either look or spend a lot of time in numbers and also be transparent and share that information with the teams in, in part. In part, there's some, you know, degree of like, I don't what what should I share? Am I, you know, can I can I say this or am I going to send the wrong message or and also there's just this like. We sometimes treat creatives with these kid gloves like, oh, they don't want to they don't want to talk about numbers. We can't do this. And it's like, no, 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 these are these are people that are are motivated to be a part of this business, just like any other human. Like there's nothing about the creative role that that should prevent us from from giving them the responsibility, the visibility, the the autonomy to drive, you know, their individual chunks. So like, you know, I have a bias and that bias is, you know, never by like all biases, they're never exclusively right. But my bias is always for just like extreme. Mine are. Yeah, well, so my biases are always right, but most people's are not always. But uh, yeah, I have a bias for extreme transparency. Like I just, all things equal, I think people are smart. I think you treat them like they're smart. I think they know, they know the score. I think you're better off just like, let's all be very honest about that. And that was another thing we did at Ology. We, we were very clear, like every month, we were very clear about our numbers. We had, we had months where the cash situation was very perilous. We had we had a couple of rounds. I mean, you know, nobody's path to to success is linear, and we had rounds of layoffs, and we were very very transparent about our cash and about our plans all the way through. And I think that was ultimately what bought us the loyalty from the, the those leaders who helped us drive the ultimate outcome. So, but I but you said a thing that is totally right, which is it's not about just the numbers. Like it's you have to talk to people about the why, the story behind it. What is this? What is this all for? Right. And if you're not doing it in that way, then it becomes either scary or demotivating or just confusing. So you're totally right. Oh, oh. I was, you're talking about the transparency thing. And I like, I was starting to grab my head and clearly, because 
this is an audio only, you're not seeing me grabbing my head while, I'm talk- while he's talking. I was actually having a conversation with a client last week that was, we were talking about this exact thing. He's like, well, I don't think they can handle it. I think that having this amount of transparency, what are they going to do with it? All of this stuff. And I'm like, honestly, here's the question. Do you think you have two options here? You either believe that your team isn't smart enough to have figured out most of this on their own, or you actually just share it, right? And if you have a team that isn't smart enough to figure it out on your own, you probably need to replace the team. Yeah, what are we even doing here? <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. That's the thing. I mean, that's always, you'd be, that is always the question, which is like, do we really seriously think these people don't already know this information? Like, of course they do. These are not, these are smart people. You hired them for a reason. Like, it's not a complicated business. So let's just bring them into the fold. And again, you are going to be blown away by what they bring to you as solutions to this problem. Entrepreneurship is a lonely, lonely world. Don't make it lonelier. <laughs> Bring some people into the fold. Get some help. Trust them. It'll be worth it. Yeah, 100%. It'll create greater alignment. They'll be able to help you uncover things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. I The amount of help that I, I mean, me personally have gotten from my team and ground level insights to stuff that I otherwise would not have been able to see because I'm not doing that work anymore, right? Like, nor do I want to be. That's totally it. Because again, there is a wrong way to do it, which is like, I'm just, I'm kind of reading the news or I'm providing this thing or, or, you know, I'm, I'm going halfway. Like we, we, we find that a lot in like, this is a little bit, le- a little bit outside of just like financial reporting, but like time tracking is a thing that is like a constant thing that we talk about. It's important for us to get sort of a view on the margin. And there's this feeling that like, okay, nobody wants to do time tracking and and that won't work in my agency. And, and a lot of the reason is because, well, you've just said, hey, we're going to do time tracking and you've let everybody else fill in the gaps for like, what are you going to do with it? And why are we doing it? But if you go to them with like the, the, the full transparency and the story of like what we're doing here, they realize like, hey, actually most of this is for their benefit, right? Like most of it is for capacity planning because we don't want people that are working 50 hours a week and we don't know about it. We can't get them help. We certainly, we also don't want people working 20 hours a week with nothing to do. We've got projects. Let's get them involved, right? We certainly all want to make money because that allows us to, for all of our employees to enjoy the upside. So of course, right? But if you're not bringing them in an authentic way and you're giving them the story behind it, it's going to fall flat. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's the like whole big brother idea that most people get stuck on in the time tracking. But I've as I've said many times, if you're not doing it, you must do it. Like there's just no option. Like you have to. And I know that there's two camps, but there really only should be one. I'm on I'm in your camp, Robert. I, I'm I'm in the same. I mean, again, I, I don't I'm not in the camp of like all of value is defined by the hour mm-hmm. and you should only ever think about billing in that way. Of course not. But I think these are two argue two separate arguments. But like, if I'm going to try to understand, like, am I making money on the, like, I have fixed amount of hours, like, yeah, I can't create hours. So I got to know, are we using them? Yep, 100%. <laughs> That's, I got yeah. a time track. There was a couple of things you yeah. said, and then I'd love to talk about a little bit more on like the numbers at each sort of stage that I want to kind of hit quickly. There was, there's one of the things that I see happened so much when, when agencies are growing to certain stages, and it's this fear of letting people go at certain stages, right? I mean, ultimately... Holding on to people I actually think is a massive limitation in growth. And you were kind of mentioning you had people knocking at your door to join your leadership team to be able to help you get to the next stage. But you look at businesses as they grew, you don't have the same team by the entrepreneur's side, right? Like acknowledge their contribution to get you to that stage. And then who is the next person that's going to help me get to the next? And there's it's an important distinction to make. And people hold on to their team that may or may not be the right fit anymore for the size of the business. Yeah. 
I mean, totally. And the only thing I'll, I mean, I, that, that was perfectly said. The only thing I would add to that is just that like, that's, it's both good for you and for them. Like there are people who are just good early stage. We call them like Swift Army Knives or utility players, stem cells. And stem cells don't want to be put in this highly specialized, I'm going to lead this specific function at a $5 million agency or whatever. Like it's not good for them. They're not going to enjoy it either, right? So just everybody, let's be honest with ourselves. What got you here won't necessarily get you there. That's okay. Yeah, 100%. So I'd love to talk about metrics. And like, I think it's just a funny thing that you mentioned right before we went into recording around like the kind of idea of like you sh- these metrics may be superfluous and not be useful for you. Like I'll get into to KPI measurement conversations and like the the agency will want like 27 KPIs. Like, no, ow. I know. Yeah. Well, that was the kind of genesis as I was sharing with you. I mean, this is kind of the genesis for us to really start to talk about agencies in these like life cycles because we would have the same thing. And, and it's like, yes, you're right. Those are 27 KPIs. We could measure them all. But like there's probably just one to two that really matter. So why are we going to waste our energy and our focus on those things. The, the other thing, and this is maybe a little bit more true at the early stage, like in that, you know, create or build mode, I should say, like one to three where like the agency exists, but it's probably not perfectly profitable. You know, we like to think about those. We like to organize the KPIs in like a hierarchy of needs. In other words, like we're going to just look at stages and we're not going to go to the next stage until we clear the other stage. Like just like Maslow, like you can't worry about self-actualization until you have shelter. In part because, like, again, if you're struggling with, let's say, gross margin, for instance, guess what? You're struggling with operating margin, too. There's no reason to, like, feel bad about two KPIs that are both bad. Like, let's just focus on the higher leverage one right now. And the other thing is, again, these are this is especially true with agencies who are struggling, which, by the way, is not far from the median agency. Business is hard. Lots of people have struggles like that. You're not alone if you're there, right? So you know, for agencies that are struggling with profitability, we find that like if we if we were to give them 10 KPIs and they're all red, like you just feel bad. You just want to put your head in the sand. You don't want to talk to me, right? You want to you want to cancel our meeting. And so what I would rather do is say, okay, well, look, let's just focus on this one thing. And let's also just focus on building momentum, like positive momentum. So, hey, guess what? Your gross margin is 30%. That's not what I want it to be. But if it's 32% next month, That's a good thing. We feel good. That's not a thumbs down. That's a thumbs up. We are making progress and we're going to try to make more progress the next month. And that way we can come out of these meetings with a feeling of positive momentum and positivity. And then, yeah, you know what? When we get to a comfortable place there, we'll move to the next the next stage in the hierarchy. We'll move to the next KPI. Uh, But let's not look at all of them at, at once. It just doesn't do anybody any good. And mostly it just makes us feel bad or distracts us. There's so there's two things there that I thought were just so incredibly important, right? One, the focus component of it that we're kind of talking about a bit. And when you have that many KPIs, none of them are important. They're all kind of equal. You're staring at a sheet of loads of different things. And it's like, the more you focus on one thing, the better you're actually going to be at that one particular thing that you're focusing on because you're putting attention on it. But if you're trying to put attention on 27 things, I mean, I don't know about, and if there's anyone that's listening, they can pay attention to 27 things at once, like good on you, but I'm definitely not that person. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so focus your attention on a smaller amount of things that ultimately impact the rest of them, right? Like what is the one, the ladder up to everything else that is going to solve all of it? Yeah. Totally. You're going to make movement on these other ones just indirectly. Yeah. So let's start. Yeah. And then the energy side of it too. And like, I hadn't really personally hadn't really thought about 
the the KPI component to energy. And you're incredibly right there. And and I talk about this all the time is that your energy level within your business, if your energy level is low, you're you're dragging the business down. And to just yep. as the entrepreneur, you're the one that should be driving light into the business. So if your energy level is low, you need to solve that problem. Because if you have energy, you have momentum. And if you have momentum, growth is inevitable. Yep. And so that energy component is so incredibly, incredibly important. I almost feel like it's it's so much or almost all of the game of like, you know, just of the business. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe that there's middle ground. I don't believe there's stasis. Like, I think you either have positive momentum or you have negative momentum. And if you have negative momentum, your only job is to create positive momentum. That's it. And if you have positive momentum, you just keep rolling and you keep building on it. That's it. Like it's and it is so hard to turn around. So that's why it, for us, it's like, how can we frame the situation to produce to manufacture some positive momentum so we can start feeling good and excited and like you said produce the energy that is going to flow into all the other areas the creative element you know the actual service delivery which is what really matters here that element of the business 100% there's one final thing i wanted to hit with you and see whether we have the same opinion on is you know having both <clears throat> worked with agencies outsourced accounting right what is the sort of stage that you think that makes sense for someone to actually bring in a full-time in-house team so th this is somewhat of a, a cop out of an answer but the answer would be like i think it's really just when the leverage model makes the most sense to you so well, here, here's what i mean by that right like why it makes sense i mean i would tell you that we're the smartest best experts on the planet so you can't replace this right but like there's plenty of experts, there's plenty of smart people, right? So for instance, take CFO services, right? Like if you were to hire a, a really high quality CFO for your agency, th that person is 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 six figures and more than just the one. It's got a two or a three in front of it. And when you need to hire a, when when the fraction of that work is one or greater, you need to go hire a, a you need one full FTE or more than one full FTE of that expertise. Of course you should bring it in-house, right? But if, if, you, if your need for a CFO is like, look, I, I, I could hire a $300,000 CFO, but I, I need that expertise one-eighth of the time, well, it's far more efficient to work with a consultant or, or a firm like ours to do that, right? So I think that also becomes true on like the accounting operations side as well. Like on an hourly basis, it's more expensive to hire a firm like ours to do your invoice processing. But if you don't need a full FTE on an absolute basis, it's going to be cheaper to hire us, right? And so... It's really just when that leverage model tips outside the favor, then I think it makes I think it makes sense. And by the way, that's way more true on things that are fungible. So again, like I think we do wonderful invoice processing. I think we create great systems, but you know, there there are plenty of people who have that. The higher up you get in terms of expertise, I think you just need to be very intellectually honest about the trade-offs, right? Like get, you know, working with a Robert is not the same as working with a, you know, a, a, a mid-level industry operator, right? You're, you know, you're not going to spend $120,000 and get Robert's expertise. You won't get my expertise at that. So just be intellectually honest about what the trade-offs are. But then, like, you know, there, there is a point where the efficiency does sort of tip and it, it makes sense to in-house and, and that's going to be sort of situational. I don't know. What's your take on that? How, how would you answer that question, Robert? I mean, by and large, I would say I agree the... Pers speaking from personal experience, right, the the genesis of me working freelance with a number of different agencies years ago was the fact that I recognized that as the CFO of an agency years ago was that I was maybe spending 10% of my time on things that warranted my six-figure salary. And it's like, you know, why? I, you know what? Hey, 
owner, don't want to mention his name, that, you know, what we should do is let's break down the salary, let's bring the people on that you absolutely need, I'll help you manage them at this 10% of my time, and I'm going to go do and fill my time with things that ultimately inspire me and keep me engaged, because I'm, quite frankly, I'm half checked out, because I'm bored with the things that I'm doing, to be completely blunt. I would look at the lower administrative things, right, you first replace the information gathering, the data entry person, and then you go to the specialist, and then the staff accountants, and then the controllers, and then eventually the CFO. But I, I mean, ultimately, to bring a CFO on internally, you're probably talking at a minimum of $10 million in revenue at, at, a, at a bare minimum. Totally. For that to make even the, a whisper of sense. Yep. Assuming you're going to get a person who's who's capable. By the way, it's so funny you, you say that about your experience. I was literally just talking to the CEO of the agency that I, I ran, and I, I was the CEO of CFO, and it was like, we both kind of felt the same, which is like, to be honest, you you know, there was maybe 20 max percent of the time that you really needed me in that seat. And the other 80 percent, it's like you didn't really need me. Right. So the, the you needed somebody that is more labor and less expertise. And that's just the truth. I mean, this was a large agency. And that's and, and yes, you needed that expertise. But did you need a full FTE of it? No, of course not. Well, now you feel like I wasn't spending enough of my time on the things that I should have been doing because you said 20 and I said 10 and we were about at the same size of agency. Well, so maybe I need to rethink that time. <laughs> well, I was oh, doing, so, you know, maybe I was doing some more operational <laughs> stuff. I had, I, I ran this out, the sales team. So there was my 10%. We were doing the same stuff. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just messing. <laughs> but totally. <laughs> you know, Ryan, I think that we could probably talk for hours. If any, uh, totally. if we've got some listeners that are wanting to get in touch with you, how can uh, they get in touch? Totally. So you can check us out at our website, upsourcedaccounting.com. We've got a YouTube channel slash upsource. Both those places are great places to find us. Thanks so much, Ryan. I'll make sure to include the links in the show notes, everyone. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. It was fun. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. So I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I gonna close this person or what am I gonna say to this person or what am I gonna do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things, but at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't, make our, I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2000 to 3000 Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, 
this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's gonna work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I want to deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Mm-hmm.